A new format. A new microphone. Same old Xtreme. Welcome to a new version of Xtreme. Yes. My name is Zach. My name is Joey. And this is a podcast where we still dig deep on your favorite video games, but now we're making it a bit different. A bit. So hold on to your seatbelts. Different. Because this is going to get fun. Going to get spectacular. Here with the new game, Spiral the Dragon. Yes. Spyro, yes. <laughs> Paul, delete that. No, don't. Paul, delete that. No, don't do it. Okay, delete that one. Spyro the Dragon. Um, yes, this is what we're playing. Released in uh, September of 1998, published by Sony and Universal Pictures, and developed by Insomniac Games. Uh, fantastic little platformer game, and I'm very excited to start digging into it. Yes. As am I. So, As am I. It opens up here initially with the title card showing the game. We'll have more of an emphasis, really, on Spyro and the enemy interactions as Spyro glares down enemies that run past him. This is literally in the first minute of, of the game turning on. Yeah, like the first ten seconds even yeah and actually the initial logo being held by an enemy which is initially scared off by spiral flying in mm -hmm. i wanted to see a game that was in full 3d but where the primary focus of the game would be interaction with the enemies to the best of my knowledge that had never been done before this game's story is based on uh, a tv interview basically gone wrong really yeah i mean you saw the beginning right yeah <laughs> Uh, so it actually starts off with uh, the dragons being interviewed by someone about how awesome it is to live where they are. Yep. Um, and basically calling Nasty Nork uh, the villain of the game, or as the TV interviewer calls him, Ganasty Ganork. Mm -hmm. um, basically just insults him, playground school child style. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. What about this Ganasty Ganork character? Now, I understand he's found a magic spell to turn gems into warriors for his cause. I'll take that question. Nasty Nork is a simple creature. Vampire. He has been contained in a remote world and is no threat to the Dragon Kingdom. No threat! Besides, he is ugly. So Nasty Nork turns them all into crystals as the interview is going on. Uh, but funny little thing I just wanted to call out. They did say that he was in a completely different world. So I guess this is being live streamed to all the realms. Live streamed to all the realms and Earth. 
You know what? Apparently the Dragon Universe has better internet connection or better radio connection than I do. That is because not I, surprising. Cause... I could barely get good internet in my own house, which is in this dimension. <laughs> and they have it in real time. Enough that Nasty Nord can already turn all of them into crystals almost immediately after he hears about it. It's the future, man. Or, or a long time ago in a galaxy far away. I don't know. How tightly woven they've been over the years and then it went all the way back to that first meeting. And by the way, the stuff with the microphone here is hilarious. This interview stuff. This was uh, the idea of Ellen Mendron or maybe Brian Hastings. I'm not sure. It was, it was, we were trying to come up with this idea for how we start the game that in, a, in a non-expected way. And so Yeah, I mean, that seems was... way ahead of its time in that it's like more pop culture-y than like uh, video games. Is that, what year was this again? This was, we 96? started making this in 96. Okay. And it was released in 98. Mm-hmm. So... It's like a reality TV show or like a, almost. As we move into the game, though, we start off in World 1, the artisan world. Um, and it already has all the... You can already see just from the beginning, it's got the wor- makings of a solid platformer. Yeah. Uh, because the one thing that you need to make a platforming character stand out is give them personality. Nice. Yeah. Not just in their speech, but in how they act. Right. So there's a beautiful little idle animation, if you just wait, of Spyro just kind of scratching himself, looking back at you, being like, yo, what are we doing? Are we moving on from this? <laughs> I got things I got to do. I got dragons I got to save. Yeah. Yeah, right away, this game like shows character. I like it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the intro didn't really yeah. cue you in that this game is going to have a lot of character... Um, be prepared. Yeah. Uh, but as you save the first dragon, which is literally kind of shown to you immediately, this is what you need to do without you actually having to do anything right. based on how the camera is positioned and how the elements in the environment interact. Mm-hmm. Um, its camera is pointed directly at this glass dragon that is shaking. Um, it's basically doing a come hither movement (laughs) and to add to the camera angle and camera placement that they have set up you can actually get a beautiful shot of the world itself and kind of the uh, effort that went into the game engine that uh, Al Hastings created here Um, it's pretty amazing yeah to draw the environments has broken down into seven different little renderers that work on different levels of detail of the environment to, to try to keep this, you know, the fact that you've, you're seeing a quarter of a mile away and what would be tens of thousands of polygons into something that's more manageable. Because not only did you have these big, long views where anything in the universe could be seen from afar, but also he created an engine where you could have detail on the objects that were close. The real trick is that in every transition we try to do is a fade or morph transition, something where you're not going to see it. Uh, it's a beautiful, it's beautiful what he did and was able to do, especially considering it was in 98. Actually, 96, yeah. I guess, while they were developing it. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as we move through the actual game here in the World 1 hub, um, you're immediately, sh- like, kind of just dropped into an area to kind of mess around and try out the new controls. Um, And one of the game elements that you're introduced to pretty quick is this fly, this dragonfly that kind of hangs around you. And 
initially you think that it just kind of is there to grab gems because one of the first things that you do in this area aside from free dragons is get gems. Um, but you notice actually that the dragonfly actually is used as an area area of effect kind of uh, way of grabbing gems yeah. easier as opposed to like walking up to each one of them individually. So yeah. super you, convenient. Exactly. So you don't actually have to worry about going over each and every one and you can just kind of run through the game and vaguely be in the direction of the gems and then you'll be fine. Yeah. I love when they do that. Uh, exactly. It makes it a lot more fun because that way you don't yeah. have to worry so much about like, ah, mm. oh, shit, I, I turned around, got to turn to make the camera shift and I got to go back and ah, oh, yeah. shit, I missed it again. I got to loop back. No, no, no. If you have one of those, those things that help you grab items without you having to worry about it, it makes it quadruples your enjoyment. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. Yeah, but as you move through, the, you realize pretty quick that this first world is basically like a tutorial hub. Um, yeah. A lot of the dragons that you save basically give you explanations of pretty much everything from Sparks, your dragonfly companion, to your objectives being explicitly told to you. How, like, <laughs> um, yeah. Even where bosses Flying. are located, how to fly, uh, everything. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we move through. But, um, no, there's parts of it that have conveyance, uh, which is my favorite thing in the entire world, but there's a lot of things mm. that kind of undercut that conveyance, which makes me a bit sad. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we move through here. Okay. Um, so one thing actually that did do a pretty good job of conveyance is, uh, the gameplay elements such as gliding, um, yeah. and dashing through the environments. Um, are laid out in such a way that you um, that you have to learn how to do one or the other. Uh, for one example, there is a hill in the initial area where you can get to the top of and you see off in the distance a chest with a bunch of gems and it's kind of telling you like, hey, you can get up here, but you know, you got to glide to it. So how do you glide? Right. You would figure you have to jump. Uh, but then maybe you realize, oh, I can't jump again. Uh, you like instinctively try and press jump again, but then you realize, oh, right. I'm gliding now. Yeah. And then you realize, oh, well, that's a classic conveyance. Exactly. And then you see that your uh, that spiral is gently going down, but still going forward. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe if I jump at the top of the hill and glide, I might make it up there. Beautiful little piece of conveyance. Yes. Um, also something I noticed in this hub area is enemies can't hurt you. Yeah, well, I guess that makes it more, even more of a training world. Yeah, they just kind of, exactly. They want to make this as easy as possible for you to get into so you can really understand how to enjoy the game yeah. without being like, ah, oh, shit, it's already, it's already too hard. <laughs> no, they want you to have fun. Uh, they want it to really actually kind of make this game appeal more to a younger audience so they didn't want them to kind of be scared away in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. And we were thinking, let's do something that's a little different. And Mark Cerny said, hey, you know, Nintendo has a lock on the family-friendly games at this point. Mm -hmm. Nintendo was killing it with family-friendly games. Mm -hmm. There's nothing on PlayStation that will appeal to this audience. You guys should consider doing something. So we, 
so we got we started brainstorming the four or five of us who were at Insomniac and Craig Stitt, one of our artists, said, "I've always wanted to do a game about dragons," mm-hmm. and and that's where we started. And our first designs for Spyro were an adult dragon, and we were making big, scary-looking dragons. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, we realized that wasn't very family-friendly. Let's take them. <laughs> you mean adult adult dragon? Adult what, do you, what do you mean by that adult? Uh, more, Just more a big dragon. Bigger, yeah. Bigger. And dragon games at the time. So we'll move into the first level of this actual world here. Uh, Stone Hill. Yes. Uh, one of the immediate design elements that kind of jumps out to me is a chest that can't be broken with your fire breath. Mm-hmm. Um, it basically forces you to learn to, how to charge if you already hadn't figured that out from the hub before. Yeah. It's an interesting forcible change because prior you could uh you know flame pretty much everything and you'd be totally fine but implementing this kind of a new design element already forces you pretty early on in the game to explore the other options that you have uh as as a player at arsenal um yeah uh basically what they want to avoid is having you rely on your um on your fire breath, on fire breath as your first order optimal strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't want you to just kind of. So just as a preface, a first order optimal strategy is the first thing that you find in usually in a game where you see it as being the most effective tool, and then you just keep using that until you hit a wall. Uh, but depending on where that wall is, you'll basically just if it's early on, you'll say, "Oh, okay, well." Maybe there's another thing I can do here. or Maybe I, there's another thing in my arsenal. But if you haven't really been forced to try and find a new strategy and you're closer to the mid-game, uh, your player might just stop playing the game. Yeah, like you wouldn't be able to continue. Exactly, and they'll just be like, well, I guess that's the end of this because <laughs> they, they don't understand there's actually another way to keep moving. So it's a good idea that they, <clears throat> they put in that variety up front. Yeah. So that you don't get stuck up on yeah. saying, this is the only thing that I can do. Right. Even if you don't need it often, just to like introduce it. Exactly. happens when you actually get to uh, fly into the ocean. I think I may have helped build this level. Just put the polygons together. But <laughs> I think you I remember... You a level designer? Uh, I, used, I would build environments. So I'd build in Maya. And I what think... What was your background when you started? Were you a programmer or... Uh... I was a hack. I was as a hack. So this <laughs> level actually took a lot of different people to develop it, and even Ted Price himself, which was very interesting to hear, uh, considering Ted is, te- is was technically the CEO at the time. Mm-hmm. So it was basically all hands on deck when creating this game. That's cool. But I guess that's what happens when you're a studio of six people. Yeah. <laughs> um. So as you keep going through this stage, though. Um, they don't, they, they also explicitly, as you mentioned before, explain some of the game elements that you, it may have taught yourself at this point via the hub world, uh, environmental interactions. But if you hadn't, uh, one of the dragons basically tells you how to fly and how to glide. Okay, um, yeah. so if, if it wasn't already implicitly <laughs> right. understood, now it is explicitly understood. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird dichotomy there because... I don't know if they're going for the conveyance right. of the environmental game design 
uh, philosophy uh-huh. or they're trying to do everything explicitly or maybe just a combination of the two to kind of cover all their bases. Yeah, like you said, it's mainly for kids, so like they might not pick up on everything. That's true. I mean, maybe the environmental puzzles are meant for adults to kind of pick up on because maybe they're a little, I don't know, more versed Better. in this kind of game. <laughs> I mean, let's call it more worldly. I don't know. Okay. More experienced. Okay. More experienced. That's good. That's a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, again, as you move through here, it really encourages collection of treasure. Because um, actually, funnily enough, no matter how far away you are, you can actually, um, uh, no matter how far away you are, you actually see the twinkle from a gem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's actually no reason for you to not uh, see what you need to get to. Uh, granted, uh, there's no real reason for collecting all the gems at this point. It's just kind of there to be collected. Yeah. Because there's no visible reward to collecting everything. Right. So hopefully that'll kind of become more apparent as we move through. But as of right now, they're just kind of there to be collected. Yeah. And they're different uh, colors, so you, obviously they're worth different amounts. Exactly. Exactly. to Dark Hollow. Another new chest design element leads to an understanding of later enemy weaknesses. Um, Basically, what I'm talking about here is the chrome. Uh, There's chrome attached to not just chests, but enemies. So you understand that chrome absorbs heat and cannot be broken by your flame breath. You have to actually smash into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Now they're taking that a step further in the Dark Hollow here and actually putting that chrome that was previously on chests onto enemies, so you understand from previous interactions, oh, I can't use my fire breath on chrome, um, and I guess I have to run into it. Right. Are you having trouble with that big belly nork? Nark? You can't attack them from the front, only well, the back. See, that's, that's what's great. He's, we were trying to figure out how to differentiate these enemies, and so we have enemies you can flame, enemies you can't flame, enemies you can charge, enemies you can't charge. And there were lots, we had lots of debates over how to illustrate that. And so one way is through armor. Yeah, so do you have to sneak behind challenge. that guy? Mm-hmm. Or do you just run yeah. past him? Got to run around him and, and flame him in the butt. But interestingly, it's kind of undercut by a dragon just kind of telling you what you just learned by actually having to do it. Yeah. Because uh, one of the dragons basically says, Hey, uh, these, dra- these guys can't be hurt by fire. Maybe you should do another thing. <laughs> but it's like, well, we just figured that out. Why are yeah. you telling us after that fact? In case you're a dumb kid. <laughs> just like, I, I don't know what I just did two seconds ago. Kid, thanks for reminding me. <laughs> it's just, it seems like there's going to be a trend here with all the dragons, and at least in the beginning area, where they just keep telling you things you may or may not have already known. I, not yeah. may not they may have already known mm-hmm. uh so it's it's interesting because i think since this was their first attempt at a 3d platformer for children maybe they just wanted to cover all of their bases and make absolutely sure 
that you knew how to play the game in the outset here. Yeah, could be. It is like, it's like made in the 90s or so like, it's one of the first of the, its kind, I guess, you know? I mean, it wasn't, I wouldn't call it the first of its kind because Mario 64 came out a while before it. Yeah. One of. True. One of. And it was, it was on PlayStation too. A lot of players thought dragons were cool. Um, I, I'm happy that in particular the platformer genre wasn't wasn't dead. I mean, we were we came way after Mario, and, mm-hmm. and we were all inspired by Mario and Metroid and, and the games that you know, we were, I was playing in college. And I, I remember being a little worried that this game was not going to resonate. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it didn't at first. When we released the first Spyro, the sales were pretty bad. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. I thought it did really well. It did, but it, it, this is a game that it just it sold a little bit, and then more, and then it just kept on going and going and going. And part of that was the PlayStation 1 really didn't have many family-friendly titles on it. Mm-hmm. And so people who had bought the PlayStation 1 for themselves, who had kids, were recognized that, oh, this is a game that my family and I can play. Mm-hmm. And that... Um, we move that on to the out. next area... Uh, the town square uh, with another new chest type um, it seems like they're kind of rolling out design elements in the form of chests <laughs> I mean you gotta do what you gotta do I guess to kind of get the point across so. uh, it's a new chest type it has timed gems that pop out for about three seconds um, and will not go away until you actually grab the gem while it is in midair so Right. Kind of gives you an understanding that there may be timed challenges that you will have to deal with as the game progresses, and this might be a little just introductory time challenge to get you used to the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and even actually, it'll also you also <clears throat> get introduced to your first alternative objective because you have the two main objectives I call them, which is freeing all the dragons from crystals and grabbing all the gems. But I guess you have another alternative right. objective here of chasing down enemies that have dragon eggs. Uh, so yeah, okay. uh, if, they, if you didn't quite understand how to do the charge mechanic before, this enemy absolutely is ne- necessary to understand how to do it. Uh, if you mm-hmm. try to do your normal dragon jaunt of walking towards them, you'll never catch them. Uh, so the enemy is designed so that you have to be comfortable, not just with the concept of of uh charging but being confident in your ability to navigate platforming while charging so it seems like yeah. the next step in understanding how to play uh with spyro at this new speed uh which, which will Fair actually enough. come into play as we move further into the game close off this world by actually confronting toasty confronting toasty i like that they have the titles 
of each little section. Yeah, it kind of adds a little. Again, yeah. it adds more to the character of the world that they're building here. It makes it seem more friendly yeah. and more. Um, or it feels like they're drawing you in and being like, "Hey, come check this. Come check this out. Be a part of this." Yeah. Uh, but it introduces uh, wolf enemies in this area or dog enemies. I'm not sure what they are. Um, where the concept is that certain enemies may take more than one hit until they're actually taken down. Standard. Uh, yeah, standard for most games where there's not always enemies that go down in one hit, but this is their introductory to that. Um, these, yeah. uh, these dogs slash wolves uh, require two hits to be taken down. Um, unlike their magician overlords that only take one, which is weird. I guess dogs are stronger than <laughs> yeah, wizards. I don't right. remember that in my rock, paper, scissors games. Also, it's funny that, like, wizards are an enemy. <laughs> that just, like, there's so many of them, and you just, like, kill them. It's just, it's hilarious, honestly, just the enemy design. <laughs> They're nope. really, oh, wizards. Wizard, yeah, Dragons so. wizards. This, you know, all, coming up with the enemies for all these levels would generally consisted of Elan, our, our animator, just making something. <laughs> just making something funny that and saves you a lot of time debating and talking about yeah. concept art you just like make just make some stuff some of the later enemies in Spyro 3 when we were in the third Spyro when we were starting to uh, really run out of the standards were a little bit weird like uh, we had a a guy a, some strange character I think it was a turtle whose belly would just open just rip open ah. that was a was a bear I don't know it was a turtle or something and bats would fly out of it that was cool and different for Spyro. <laughs> That's a bad um, but it's funny how as you move through this stage, um, <clears throat> you end up in a three-stage fight with what turns out to be a sheep in a costume. <laughs> Just yeah. in a disguise that's got like a, a pumpkin on a head with a scythe. Like a pumpkin scarecrow. Yeah. And it's just like clearly walking really oddly. And it actually never really attacks you. The only thing it does is wait for you to attack it. And uh, yeah. hides behind the wolves slash dogs. Um, which actually would make more sense if they were dogs. Because I initially thought they were wolves. And I thought it would be too weird if a sheep was hiding behind wolves. <laughs> it would make more sense that a dog would be protecting sheep. Right. Uh, but that is a funny little nod there. I gotta give it to you, Insomniac. That was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, that was and this game is not without no, humor. and I mean they kind of hammer that in here with the first boss. That that thing that we just took down, that was toasty. That was the boss. Yeah. <laughs> so not all the bosses are gonna be like these big like set piece things. It could just be a funny joke. It's just like the boss of this world is a sheep in a scarecrow costume. <laughs> So it's kind of setting up that that kind of this is the kind of humor you're going to be in for for this game, and I am totally in for it. Yeah, I am down, and I'm ready to keep going. But in another episode, because we're going to jump into World Two, which is the Peacekeepers, in our next episode. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoy the new format here. Um, if you enjoy this style. Uh, please feel free to reach out to us. We are on everything, I think. Um, just 
Go to Google and type in mm-hmm. It's the Extreme, all one word. That's I-T-S-T-H-E-X-S-T-R-E-A-M. Uh, and you'll find our Facebook, our Instagram, our Twitter, um, our Twitch. You'll find our new website that I'm going to make go live after this recording. <laughs> yes. As a reminder to myself. Make, make go, go live. live. Me speak good English. <laughs> um, so reach out to us. And if you want to send us an email, you can always do that. At, it's the extreme at gmail.com. Same spelling at gmail.com. Uh, is there any... Is there yeah. anything else I think we should talk about? Yeah, give us uh, give us some feedback on on this style. Let us know what you I think, think we're gonna keep doing it though. I'm pretty I'm pretty down with it. Yeah, it's more more to the point, yeah. and I think it's more palatable. So we're gonna keep yeah. going on this. Uh, don't forget to write it down, and we will talk to you guys next week. Peace. <laughs>